Welcome to Thrive at Work, the podcast that brings trends, insights, and practical tips to help employers attract, develop, and retain great people. Here, you'll find inspiring conversations with experts in their field and companies doing amazing work to shape a future where people can thrive. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Thrive at Work. Today, we are talking about leadership and the impact that leaders can have on the mental health of individuals and teams. According to global research and workplace consulting organization Gallup, a staggering 70% of the variation between great and poor workplace engagement can be explained just by the quality of the manager or team leader. I am really pleased today to be joined by Jim Hughes, founder of Untamed, whose purpose is to help people to reconnect with themselves, those around them, and with their work. Welcome, Jim. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here, Polly. (laughs) Great. Um, I'm going to dive straight in there. What do you think about that statistic I've just read about about Gallup and 70% of the variation between great and poor workplace engagement? could be down to the quality of management. That is quite staggering and could have huge knock-on impacts to productivity and organizational performance. What's your view? Yeah, I, I never heard that statistic. It's a good one. I don't, I, I, I'm not surprised. Ultimately, we're not there because of the job. We're not there because of the organization. We're there because of the people we work with. I mean, human beings are a connected species. That's how we survive. That's how we thrive. And the thing that probably the biggest influence in our environment is the interactions that we have on a daily basis of which we have many not just Mm. the conversations not just the hard conversations not just the sales conversations or the performance reviews but the general interactions the chit chatting the 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 nods even i mean 80 percent of communication is non-verbal so we are we are so impacted by interactions that we have with other people especially when those interactions carry a lot of weight for us in terms of impact on our lives, which obviously family is in, in, is part of that, intimate relationships is another part, and also are, you know, who we are led by. They mm. are people that we look up to. They're people who have a direct influence on our well-being, on our performance, mm. on, on our livelihood, because they are ultimately, we certainly perceive that they are responsible for whether we are in or out of that work or not. And there's so much tied into that from a security perspective and emotional perspective. So yeah, there's there's a lot in there's a lot in it. And the a poor manager or somebody who shows up in a in a in a in a, in a, in a way that is non-conducive to to people feeling good is going to have a huge impact. It is, isn't it? Absolutely. And the fact that 80%, did you say, of our communication is non-verbal, that's huge and that's really interesting. Yeah, well, if you think about it, it's just the the the, the energy we give off, whether it, how we look at somebody, when we're in a conversation and we sat with our arms crossed, are we saying something, but we're saying it with a grimace? I mean, there's a, there's a, I, I was at an event in Canada years ago and there was a guy there was all about communication and there was a quote on the, on the, 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 the big screen. And the words were, I, I didn't say, what is it? I didn't say that you were beautiful. They said, right, now read these out to me, but we're going to stress different words in this sentence each time we read it out. <laughs> so you said the first time you go, I didn't say you were beautiful. 
has one meaning. I didn't say you were beautiful has another meaning. And each time you you emphasize a different word, the sentence completely changed. So there's so much, there's so many more things that go into just the words that we read on an email, the text that, you know, the, the conversations that we hear, the tone of voice, the, the, the body language, the posture, how we're feeling at that time changes mm. how we interpret things. Mm. We are a very complex, very simple, but also extremely complex creatures. So things yeah. have a big impact. Wow, that's really interesting about that sentence. I can see totally how um, that would uh, be interpreted differently depending on where you emphasize, where you have the emphasis in the sentence. That's really interesting. I've not heard that before. Um, and so, and communication is a whole different topic, of course, but you have to do be quite careful in emails, don't you? Because as you say, you don't get the tone or the body language or anything that might go along with it. So you do have to be quite careful to make sure that you're clear and that it, to minimize it being interpreted in the way that you didn't intend. <laughs> um, great, thank you for that. That's really interesting. Um, and then of course, so managers and leaders can have then a huge impact on somebody, somebody that's in their team um, in many different ways. So tell us more about that then. So what, what can the impact be and also are people aware, are people generally aware that they can have such a big impact? Sorry, that's two questions in one. <laughs> I, to answer your second question first, is difficult to know. I'd say largely speaking, probably not. I think we all, in my experience from the coaching conversations I've had with clients and just people I know, we, I think we overestimate our ability to manage our own emotions and understand our own emotions and we underestimate the impact other people have and the external world has on our emotional state if you think about it it makes sense that we would do that because we want to think that we're in control we want to think that we've got a really strong mindset we want to think that we're independent of our you know our thoughts are our hours and hours alone and only us can have an influence on how we feel but that's it's so rarely the case so that's your second question and, and i've forgotten the exact wording of the first question but in terms was, of the impact yeah go on. it was around um yeah tell us more about the impact that managers and leaders can have on a on a team or an individual well if you think about let's let's for a second take it away from just managers to people that you know leaders down to the people they lead this is a, this is people across the board but it's mm. just emphasized more when it comes to a leadership dynamic because of yeah. what's at stake in that relationship. Yes. But humans have a huge relationship on each other. And if you think about, let's focus on the individual for, for now, not the person you are interacting with, but let's focus on you. How we, how we react to situations depends so much on how we are showing up in that moment. So are we entering into, the, into, an, into an engagement fully energized are we rested are we restored are we at peace with ourselves are we confident do we trust ourselves in that moment are we content or are we going into an interaction feeling under-resourced feeling tired feeling stressed feeling triggered feeling unconfident feeling overwhelmed feeling anxious feeling depressed whatever all of those different things. And that, I've only just touched the surface there, scratched the surface of, of different states that we can go into an interaction with, but how we receive or how we interpret an interaction 
will vary dependent on how we go into it and our state which you know our our state is impacted in the short term that changes can change very quickly but then beyond our state we have our temperament we have a, we have a mood then we have a temperament then we have a personality and these things all have different layers of longevity so yes in that moment we maybe go be going into it feeling confident but underneath we have this belief that we are not enough let's say or that we are under threat which then gets triggered two minutes into an interaction because somebody says a word which has a huge meaning to us or they say it in a certain way which reminds us of mm. the dad that we didn't have or the mum that treated us the way we, we were treated so we get triggered like that so I'm probably talking around the houses here but there's just so many elements that go into how we frame and perceive and navigate an interaction which then ultimately affects our state which then ultimately goes and changes how we then enter into the next one so if we are in a leadership role and we are directly influencing two, five, ten, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people in an organization, can you imagine the knock-on effect that has if we go into those conversations and those interactions, whether it's an email, whether it's a company-wide huddle, whether it's a, a performance review? Like that's gonna have a huge impact. Mm. Mm, it is, absolutely. And so how do you, when you're working with clients, how do you sort of make them aware of the impact that they can have around on those around them? Well, it all starts like I like I started the last answer. It all starts with the individual. So mm. as you mentioned earlier on, that my work is about helping people connect with themselves first, because I believe you can only connect with other people to the extent that you have connected with yourself. So you that translates to. I believe you can only understand your influence and impact on other people's states mm. when you start to realize how your own state is changeable and, wh and what impacts it and what you are triggered by and what your fears are. So it's always starting with the individual. Mm. So right. who are you? What are your stories? What, what narratives, what belief systems are you running on? Mm. What is your model of the world? Because your model of the world is going to be very different from the next person's model of the world, which means that your expectations are going to be different, which means your energy is going to be different, which means your how you approach a situation is going to be different. Your upbringing means you're going to you're going to um, your bringing your nature and nurture is going to change how you the tools that you use. It's going to change how you uh, what you resort to when you are feeling threatened, what you resort to when you're feeling from a, from a place of abundance. So when you can start understanding yourself more and you go oh my god i'm <laughs> i've got a lot going on under the surface here maybe i'm not all as, as aware as i thought i was and oh my god there's so many stories at play here and, and assumptions and beliefs that are just pulling strings invisibly it's only when you do that you go ah right now i can understand why mary smith and joe blogs are triggered the way they are triggered by our by interactions with me maybe that's why they're stressed maybe that's why they're having a great time in these particular moments they've got their own stuff going on as well they are bringing lots of their own beliefs and assumptions and stories and fears to work and of course when i show up like this that's going to have an impact on them does that make sense you understand yourself first and then you can see how much you are impacting other people yeah absolutely and i think um i've been on leadership development courses before where um you know this was a huge realization actually the impact that how you come across or how I come across can have a massive impact on those around me. And I hadn't really considered that before. 
but also that, as you say, your background, upbringing, you know, whatever values, beliefs you mm. have built up over time, you are bringing all of that to a particular situation. And um, I would like to think that um, those of us, you know, in leadership positions are able to put that to one side for, for a minute for an interaction or at least be aware enough that you are coming to a situation with with that but you're not going to let it affect a particular situation what's your view on what's your view on that is it possible to put it to one side <laughs> it's definitely possible but you probably saw my smile as you as you mentioned you know I'd like to think we all do this in leadership roles uh, the <laughs> With the, I mean, I've been in this work, I've been doing it for six years. I've been receiving it for eight years myself. And I still, I still get triggered. I still have interactions, whether it's with former colleagues, whether it's with clients, I get triggered by clients still to this day. And I always will. So yes, I'm, I feel like I can put the best, you know, put myself to the side of my own stories and assumptions and fears and things to one side, but there's only so much, uh, uh, there's only so much control we have over that. And there's going to be times when we are just triggered in a moment. Someone will say something, someone will will show up in a certain way, they'll bring a certain energy, which reminds me of, or reminds us of X, Y, and Z when we're this this help, this age, and it's particularly emotive for whatever reason, positive or negative, and we are going to be impacted. And I, I said this to a client this morning. Um, I had a client come for a half day, uh, and we were in the river and in the woods and chatting and moving and all that stuff. And I was like, let's just let's just get something straight here. Cause he realized that so much of the way he was showing up was, his, was a 10 year old version of himself. And without going into too much detail, cause we could be here all day. Uh, he feels the need to take on everybody else's burdens, to be the person firefighting, to look after themselves and puts other people first consistently to the point where he's exhausted and it's not sustainable because that's what he learned to do when he was 10 for various reasons, which I won't go into. Mm -hmm. So when we start to, he can start to understand that and go, oh, well, okay, I'm making it about other people, but actually it's my own stuff here that I'm, it's my own needs I'm trying to meet by, by fighting other people's fires, by the burdens I'm taking on. I'm doing that for myself more than I'm doing it for them. When he realized that and we sort of start to frame what, what the alternative might look like, my comment to him was, look, give yourself grace here because this old 10-year-old, he's been around for a long time. He's going to come back up. He's going to be triggered. He's going to come and try and fight fires, blah, blah, blah. It's, you've just got to be aware of how often he does it, how long this, this voice inside you has the microphone for and, and the impact that that voice has. Because it's going to happen. It's just about reducing all three of those things. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. And the impact on mental health then, where's the link there? Tell us more about that. I mean, everywhere in everything I've said, mental health is is part of that, isn't it? If you, we, our human beings need to feel safe, supported, trusted, listened to. Um, we we need to have a certain level of autonomy to varying degrees for different people, in order to feel safe, in order to feel at peace. That's when we can thrive, mm. and it's when we feel under threat that we that we stop thriving and we and we just start surviving and we have these inbuilt fears we, society has grown way quicker has evolved way quicker than we our physiology and our brains have evolved so the same things that used to be a direct threat to our survival like being ostracized from our from our tribe 
would that would have meant death in the past it doesn't mean death anymore if you get if you get ostracized from a group on whatsapp that doesn't mean anything like literally life and death it doesn't it's not a factor but our brain still interprets it as a factor so if you stay in those moments for long enough if you if you let's say for whatever reason a culmination of events that's again through the work lens through the leadership lens let's say you are working underneath somebody who they don't make you feel anything you feel it yourself but you are you are led to feel under threat unsafe you know uh like you've got a, a rocket up your behind the entire time and they're probably doing it because they think it motivates you but it doesn't it actually diminishes you and kills your confidence and everything else if you stay in that for long enough you, you will perceive that as a threat and it'll go from being just a state to being a mood to being a longer term thing and your brain chemistry changes your it operates at a different frequency it, i can't remember the exact term i think it's high beta i think the beta wave is like a faster brain wave and that's when we're in survival mode when we start to see things as threats when we start our peripheral vision goes and it's more of a tunnel focus our body starts to put all of our energy towards survival rather than you know in like digestion and other important elements of our body and we stay in that long enough and our health gets affected and then we get anxiety and then we get depression and then we feel isolated and then we and then our health you know our body starts to be starts to, to give us all of these symptoms and these signs so many of the diseases that we have are lifestyle diseases i.e mm. they are a result of of our thoughts of our feelings of our environment of the beliefs that we carry so yeah. everything that we've talked about is, is related to mental health which is also related to physical health of course and if you're operating in that space, as you described, long term, of course, you're you're not going to be performing at your optimum in a work setting because you are concerned about surviving rather than thriving, as you say. So absolutely. And then you talked about some physical symptoms there as well, which can manifest, which so it sounds really damaging long term. It can be. And, uh, you know, the example I gave is if you were if you were being led by somebody who made you feel or, or or led you to feel under threat. But the, the reason that's probably the case is because that leader probably feels under threat themselves. They probably feel the need to be enough, to survive, to achieve, to perform. And they will probably perceive your performance as a threat to their own existence, their own identity. So that's, how, that's the reason they're showing up. And if you both come at this situation feeling like you're in survival mode, you're both triggering each other, you're both showing up in different ways, trying to achieve the same thing but making it worse for both of you which then is going to impact the organization and all the team around you and then you're going to take that home to your family which is what this my client this morning does he mm. doesn't share it with his family but he carries it home with him mm. which, sure. is, which just has such a massive knock-on effect but I mean I feel like we didn't always talk about mental health and we haven't known about psychological safety and all of these different ways of motivating um your your team members so do you think this has come from more traditional styles of, of management uh where do you think that came from and uh you know well, thank goodness we're moving on from, from where it. do you think what came from the talking about mental health or, or no i think the, the, old way? Um, the way leaders might have might have spoken to people in the past or think that they're motivating people but they're actually not they're creating a sense of um insecurity I don't know. I, I'm probably not the best person to answer that question. I, I, I don't I haven't studied organizational psychology and worked in, you know, the, in this oh. field for, for decades, but I, I can give I can I'm never short of an opinion, as you probably know, Polly. But um, 
my suggestion, my assumption would be it's largely dictated or certainly influenced by the prevailing mood of the society. So in the 80s, you had the yuppies, you had the baby boomers who were the, who were the who were the managers and the leaders, and it was like the the, the ruthless general electric uh, Jack Welch approach of you know if you're not in the top 80 percent, you're going to get cold no matter what. Um, survival of the fittest, and that was a very much an alpha, masculine, um, hard-nosed, ruthless approach to work. And people could look at it and go, "Yeah, they could skew the figures like everybody does and say, look, this works. Our company's performing better.'" Mm-hmm. And it was accepted back then, and it was not only accepted; it was it was encouraged and it was rewarded, mm-hmm. and yeah. it was rewarded for the leaders to have the highest performing teams and that. And and when you when there is that fashion or that trend, you're going to attract the people who naturally behave like that. Yes. Yeah. And then you're going to encourage the people who don't naturally behave like that to act like that in order to fit in. Yes. Yes. Thankfully, yeah. that's now that's now gone. There is a place for some of that, by the way. And I think the pendulum can be swinging too far the other way, which we may or may not get into. But now it's if you act like that, you're going to get. And depending on the organization you're in certainly if it's a public facing organization you're not going to last very long because you're going to get you're going to get hounded out you're going to get people bringing bring you under scrutiny you'll get the spotlight on you either from your team or from the media if it's a, if it's a, a, a listed company or what have you so the prevailing mood is no longer that the prevailing mood is thankfully it's mental health it's talking about emotions mm-hmm. it's talking about vulnerability it's talking about it's mm-hmm. talking about looking after the the self in a holistic way not just from a work perspective mm-hmm. Mm. which is therefore going to encourage the people who are naturally like that yeah and it's going to and it's going to probably force the, the people who aren't actually like that to maybe change their approach to adapt to it in order to survive in that in that environment yeah well i think also employee expectations are changing and yeah. if employers don't uh, employ certain mechanisms by way of you know management measures or whatever um, they're going to lose people. They are going to lose people 100%. because the the, uh, the landscape's changed. Um, when you were uh, saying about the the uh, pendulum potentially swinging too far the other way, um, tell us more about that. <laughs> this might be quite quite be uh, quite inflammatory for some people listening, but I do believe that we are losing the ability to take responsibility for our own state, for how we show up, for how we react. I think there's a lot of emphasis. I believe too much emphasis on the employer to provide a lot of our needs, emotional needs, financial needs, um, practical needs, support outside the work environment. And I believe with that comes, like you say, an employee expectation to the point where and this, you, we see this across the, across the, the, the certainly the Western world in conversations now. Um, I feel like this is your fault. I feel mm-hmm. like this. You are responsible for how I feel, which is such a such a dangerous and insidious uh, approach to take. Because ultimately, the only person who can control how we show up is ourselves. That's the only thing we have control over in our lives is how we react to the world. And I believe. The, the the way we are going more and more people will be passing responsibility on to their employer for how they feel and all and what they're doing there is they're disempowering themselves and they're probably they're, they're more likely to take a, a position of victim 
rather than a position of power. Well, I think that's an interesting perspective because actually, I mean, again, I may, might be saying something a bit inflammatory now, but um, medical or GP support um, is, well, the NHS is struggling, as we know, and I, I don't think support is necessarily always that forthcoming from the medical profession in this area. And you might be on a waiting list for months to get support. Um, so, um, so that's an interesting perspective that you feel that from the employment um, point of view. It's interesting that perhaps they're not getting that support from um, the medical profession necessarily where we know the NHS is struggling and you might be waiting for months to get support um, for mental health. So interesting that you feel that perhaps employees are leaning quite heavily on employers. But one other thing I would say is that um, if somebody is struggling in the workplace, I've worked with employers that have um, held work uh, well-being discussions with members of staff, well-being chats, basically. Maybe it's once a month to see how they're doing, but I will give them a set of questions to use to get the conversation started because it is very difficult um, for employers to know how to deal with this kind of thing. And one of the questions is, what are you doing to promote your own positive mm -hmm. mental health? Um, so the employer is not taking all of the responsibility on themselves, um, but and it also kind of triggers the employee to start thinking about, oh yeah, what could I be doing to help myself by way of self-care or um, uh, anything else? So um, yeah, interesting. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. That's a great idea. I think it's a great approach. That I mean, let's just be clear that my my business is predicated on helping people understand themselves and helping businesses uh, and the individuals within it understand themselves and each other. So obviously, I I value the work of connecting with oneself and my. The, I suppose to to put it more succinctly is exactly that. It's the reminder, I believe, to say, look, this is a really important conversation that the employer can create space for, but it's not their responsibility how you feel. You have to take control of this. You are responsible for it. Do you, are you involved, are you engaging in health and wellbeing related activities outside of work? Are you looking after your own self? Are you keeping fit? Are you taking time to meditate and to journal and to, do you have a, I mean, such a major element that I believe is sadly being lost more and more from the Western world is, is the communities that we had. We had social clubs, we had the Legion, we had football teams, cricket teams, rugby, less people, I think, certainly rugby, I don't know about all sports, but team sports, I think a few of them are are struggling for numbers. I think the, the, the pubs we know are closing down all the time. There's, we don't, you don't really get social clubs anymore. And if you do, you don't really, they're not really a thing, they're just a pretty crap version of a pub. You don't get like the same level of, you know, whether it's a political party, sort of um community we are losing a sense of community we're, we're more isolated from our neighbors than we ever used to be we're more isolated from our families than we ever used to be we live in silos we used to live in multi-generational accommodation and that used to take up so much of the of the slack of the burden of how we feel we had the interactions on a daily basis but now the workplace is expected to provide so much of that and i just think it's not it's not a sustainable model 
Well, no, but then again, we've also had huge changes to the workplace and we are operating more in a sort of hybrid, if not remote environment, quite a lot of the time. So actually, what 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 tips would you give to employers to encourage a sense of connection or community um, you know, in that sort of environment? Well, I'm very biased. Um, so this answer would just, just be very clear that my answer is biased. And I believe, so I, I, I like to help teams get away from their desks, preferably not even in the same city, preferably not in a city at all, out into nature and to put the phones away, the laptops away, work chat is, is at a minimal uh, minimum. And we get around a campfire, we go for a walk, we jump into the river, we go kayaking, do whatever. Where uh, to allow people to connect on a human to human level, not about work, not about it doesn't have to be about anything. I mean, use obviously the events I run, there's a coaching element to it, and, and the conversations are, are structured in that way. But there has to be space for just general chit chat, the kind mm. of stuff that we, especially now, remote teams, distributed teams, there isn't the water cooler chats going on anymore. No, uh, so creating space for those, for those human, human human to human connections face to face outside in nature because we've got something we're disconnected from massively as well i think there has to be space for that but what if a team is totally remote or hybrid so they only see each other occasionally and there have, there is work to be done so um you know we can't all have walking meetings all the time um it's just not practical what, mm. do you have any tips around encouraging movement or you've just talked about nature movement exercise I love your examples of kayaking and jumping in the river and things that's that's exercise as far as I'm concerned so you're killing two birds with one stone which is great but I do wonder if that's practical <laughs> yeah I mean yeah you're right I'm not suggesting you can always have a walking meeting and that you can be outside eight hours a day. That's just not going to happen. You do need to get work done. You need to be in front of your laptop or whatever. But um, I'm talking about from a team get together perspective, create right. space for that specifically on a day to day no. basis. That is where the onus is on the is on the individual to manage their own energy, manage their time, manage their boundaries. And again, going back to the, the client I was speaking to this morning, he was continuously giving himself to others continuously every single day and his his brain i did ask him to do a spider diagram a, a pie chart of where his energy was going and it was all other people and it was all survival stuff it was all like just getting through the day the onus has to be on him he can change jobs and get a pay rise he can have different responsibilities but if that same story is is running in the background the the same outcome is going to play out so yes, the employer can has a I believe has a role in encouraging these things, but the but the employee has to take responsibility and say, right, I am going to be leaving this office at or my my home office. I'm going to close the laptop at 4 p.m., 5 p.m., 6 p.m., whatever that time is. There has to be the support from the from the leadership to do that. There has to be an understanding of from I've heard this many times. The leaders who are the founders who are the ones who are working 16 hours a day, they say, Hey, look, if I'm emailing at 4 a.m., I don't expect a response. That's just when I work best. You look after yourself in terms of manage your own time. I'm not going to chase you. So put the onus on the employee or the individual to say, Okay, I'm not going to thrash myself in my work because of an old fear that I need to show up, I need to be enough, I need to be validated. I'm going to take an hour at lunch to go for a walk without my headphones. I'm going to I'm going to take an hour before my kid is has woken up to do a workout. 
or I'm going to make sure that I actually spend the weekend with my laptop away, having quality time with my with my kids. Whatever it is that works for you, restoration outdoors is always beneficial. I think movement is always beneficial. Mm. Um, create that space and manage your own energy levels. Mm. Great, thank you. I know you've talked a lot about getting outdoors, and I think it's great that you meet with your clients outdoors and do something um, active. That's brilliant. Um, tell us more about the connection maybe between, um, you know, productivity and movement or exercise in nature. Is there anything else you want to add about that? Well, I think I'm a big believer in it. And this is any answer I give won't be won't be a particularly scientifically rigorous answer. So just to preframe that um, for your listeners that I'm, I'm not I haven't researched this myself, but a lot of this is anecdotal and it's it's science that I've read and uh, I, and I personally believe in we are not as human beings we have not we're not built for cities we're not built for office blocks we're not built to even sit you know our, our postures our skeleton is not designed to be in a chair it's terrible for us long term we need to stretch we, we are we are our bodies have been conditioned over over thousands and thousands and thousands of years to move we are um generalists so we're not brilliant at swimming, we're not brilliant at climbing, we're not brilliant at running, we're not brilliant, but we are good at all of those things. And when we do those things, our body responds well and our brain responds well. We are not designed to be in cities surrounded by concrete and gray and black mm. and mm. hard edges. We are designed and, and we have been evolved over the years to be in nature in silent or not silence but you know the sounds of nature with a long vision you know it's good for our eyesight having a having a something long range to look at rather than eight inches away from our face um there's we are we used to spend we used to have we used to get put into um need to make sure i get this right we used to get stressed but it was a what's the word i don't know if it's micro or macro stress um acute acute stress versus the other kind of stress which is now escaping my mind whereas it was literally back in the day when we were stressed it was just it was survival i need to get away from this deadly thing um and my survival depends on it but we used to do that for a short period of time and then get out of it and and going into stress stressful situations in a short term is good for our bodies because it stimulates a lot of things in our in our bodies like our um it's good for our heart rate it's good for our um um circulation is good for lots of things but we don't really have that anymore now we just have this stress that sort of bubbles under the surface all the time and our cortisol is just going around and our adrenaline is going around and we're in this sort of survival state and we never release it if you think about the, the gazelle it runs away from a lion that afterwards they shake it all out they shake all those chemicals away and then they just crack on but humans mm. remember it and we so we are we're in that sort of sympathetic nervous system which is where we are it's fight or flight and we don't even realize it. And if people listen to this, and be like, I'm not in survival mode. I'm not. I guarantee you, if you're thinking that, you there, there is a strong chance that you are. You're just you just do not realize it. It plays underneath the surface. And getting outside, breathing deeply, moving, you start to engage the sympathetic nervous. Uh, the, sorry, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is where we restore, where we uh, regenerate, where we calm down. That's where you know we just don't do enough of that. Um, and yeah just I think I've said enough on that just yeah, get outside right. get moving thank you I would also say in terms of productivity there's something to be said for getting away from the desk so I've 
many a times mm. I've struggled over a, a document and not made progress with it, but I've gone out for a walk or done something different and come back to it. And then all of a sudden the words flow and it all slots into place. And also your best ideas come when you're doing something different, when your brain is, is in a totally different zone, I find. Um, so I think there must be some, I mean, I don't know the science behind it, but there must be some link between um, movement or activity and performance or productivity or, um, you know, being able to creativity even because you're, um, mm. you know, that example about moving ahead with the documents that I'd previously been stuck on, something unlocks or enables me to move it forward. Um, so there, there must be some link there as well about um, productivity, I think. I, I, I read a book recently called The Comfort Crisis, which I recommend to anyone listening. It's a phenomenal book about where we've come from and, and how we're wired and on what elements and environments help us thrive. And the guy, talk, I can't remember the name of the author, he talks about you know, when you go for a workout, you do, you, you lift your weights, you're actually tearing those muscles. That's where the pain comes from and the, and, and the muscle soreness. That in itself won't grow our muscles. It's when they repair where the growth comes from. That's where the extra size and the strength comes from. And he said, when we are just constantly focused on the, on the task at hand and we're always on the laptop, we don't take ourselves away to focus on something else or more importantly, to focus on nothing. Mm. There is no recovery time. So it's like spending the entire time in the gym lifting weights. You're not actually giving your muscles time to recover and, and grow. Yes, yeah. So yeah, productivity, creativity are all tied into that. And there's something about, I believe, conscious versus subconscious. And if you're consciously engaging, if you're always engaging your conscious mind, your subconscious is kind of whirring away in the background, but it's you, you haven't got time to listen to it because you're just constantly distracted by something else. Whereas if you give your subconscious time to just, that's why we think when we're, when we're half asleep, our brainwaves slow down. We're in like the delta or the theta state or whatever. That's when our it's when we're meditating as well. That's when we those ideas come up that have been in there the whole time. It's just we weren't listening to them. Ah, that's really interesting. Great, thank you. Um, I think we are actually coming towards the end of our time. Um, it's flown by. I just wondered if there was anything else you'd like to say about this that we haven't already covered. Nothing, nothing groundbreaking. Not that I've said anything groundbreaking already, but. I think I would just urge anybody listening to to just check in and say, right, am I in the, am I in the right place? To what extent am I content and happy? To what extent am I leveraging my gifts? To what extent am I making the most of who I am? And and to what extent does life feel natural and does it feel like it's flowing versus feeling like I'm swimming upstream? feeling like I'm swimming against the tide, feeling like I'm trying to be somebody I'm not. Because that's that's my interest area. That's what I do. I believe that is the, is the foundation of so much stress, so much performance, positive or negative, is when we are not feeling like we're, as I say, we're not in our playground. Mm. And so for anybody listening, just please take this opportunity to just check in and be honest with yourself really honest with yourself because if you if you're not in your playground if you're trying to be somebody you're not and life does feel like a bit of a struggle you need to make changes small or big that's great thank you and i loved what you were saying earlier actually about you were talking to a client about assessing for him like where his energy is going and you both realized that it was all going completely on other people rather mm -hmm. than himself I love that idea about just checking in around, right, where is my energy going? Is it going to, I don't know, I would 
first things I would think about is, is it going to work? Is it going to relationships? Is it going to my health and well-being? Um, can't think of anything else. <laughs> is it is it going to survival in all of those areas? Because it's going to survival to, to bring it right back to the point of this conversation or the purpose of your podcast is you're not going to be an effective leader. You're not going to be an effective uh, team player. You're not going to be an effective colleague when you are in that place of survival because you are spending your energy in unhealthy areas. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Lovely. Um, if people would like to get in touch with you, Jim, what's what are your contact details? Well, my website is becomeuntamed.com. And on there, there's a there's a quiz that people can take. It's only a few minutes. And that's it's called the Find Your True Path quiz. And it gives you end up in a quadrant of am I in my playground? Do I know myself? And it gives you some some sort of short tips as to where, where you are right now and what you can do to, to move closer to your playground to, and to understand yourself at a greater level. So I'd encourage anyone to take that. Um, in terms of uh, social media, I'm on LinkedIn. So Jim Hughes, and then just look for uh, founder of Untamed. I'd be happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. And um, Amazing. that's pretty much it. Those, those, two, those two are the main ones. That's great. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been um, really interesting talking to you. Thank you, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Polly. Mm -hmm.